up, but let's first open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here, both those who are here live and those that are watching online. I just pray you'd minister to every heart, minister to every family, minister to every marriage, uh, whatever trials that people may be going through today. Lord, you know every detail of everyone's life who is here. And Lord, I just pray you'd meet them here by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would touch us. Lord, we pray as we study your word, we'd get to know you better, because to know you better is to love you more. Lord, may we leave here more in love with you. We love you and we praise you. Be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So by way of fairly quick review, uh, Peter was written by Peter the Apostle. And this is written in the first century church, uh, probably in the late 60s AD. The temple is still there. And during this time, there was great persecution taking place under Caesar Nero. So Christians were being scattered because of persecution. Christians were being used as entertainment by being fed to lions and set on fire and things like that because of just simply because they made a stand for the Lord. And in the midst of that, there were some Christians who were tempted to either walk away or to be more silent because they were afraid of the persecution that would take place. And so this letter is written by Peter, and he's encouraging them to remain steadfast even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of great persecution. And it's important during trying times that we not try to go through it alone. One of the things the enemy wants to do with us as believers is isolate us. That if you're going through difficulty, just kind of pull off to the side, uh, don't interact with other believers uh, because it's just difficult and you want to keep it to yourself. And that's just not a biblical stand to take. The Bible says to forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. And we need to be in fellowship and we need others to hold up our hands. And so Peter is writing this letter to restore hope and faith and perspective in the midst of these trials to these first century Christians. In the first chapter, he encouraged and reminded them that they have a living hope. You know, as believers and as people, if we focus on what's going on right here and right now, and forget about eternity and, and take eternity out of the equation, we can become overwhelmed. We can end up being depressed and anxious and fearful and worried. And those are all things that we all deal with from time to time. But that's typically only going to happen if we only focus on what's happening in the here and now without a focus on eternity. And the reality is we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Amen. We're going to spend more time in heaven than we spend here. And we need to have that eternal perspective because that's where our hope comes from. It comes from the fact that we have the promise of eternal life. He reminded them that they had a living hope, that they had a heavenly inheritance. And then he told them that this trial you're going through, and he used this term, is for but a little while. So whatever it is that you're going through, it is for but a little while, especially compared to eternity. You might say, well, I've been struggling with this for 10 years, and I'm not downplaying how difficult that might be. But we need to understand that compared to eternity, that too is just for but a little while. Amen? Amen? And so when you're going through the trials, be focused on the fact and be reminded of the fact that heaven is better and that eternity is what really matters. Our faith is proven genuine by how we respond in the midst of trials. You've heard me say it many times, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's easy to be on fire for God when we're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's perfect in our life. By the way, that doesn't happen very often. Usually in life, there are trials. We've either been in a trial, we're coming out of a trial, we're going into a trial. Some of us have had, had years this year, this past year, that were the most difficult of our lives. That's certainly true of my family. But you know what? God is still faithful, and heaven is still real. And this is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And again, it's the testing of our faith that proves whether or not our faith is real. And again, praise God. And even when it's been tested by fire, that God is faithful. Genuine faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. He told them that in chapter 1. And though we have not seen him, we believe, resulting in an inexpressible love and joy and peace. Oh, how happy are those who have not seen the Lord and yet believe, Peter would say. 
They have seen in whole what the prophets have only seen in part. As believers, I say this often, we're the most blessed of all people who've ever lived because we have the completed revelation. We have the word of God. We have more access to biblical teaching and commentaries and Christian radio. And we have just so much more access to the word of God. Now, here's the scary part to me. We have more access than ever, but it's also being more ignored than ever because we also have more distractions than ever. It's so easy to get so caught up in everything else that's going on all around us and to spend absolutely no time in your entire day with the Lord. To not open your Bible one time. To not spend any time in prayer. And then we wonder at the end of the day why we're so bummed out. We, end up, we wonder why at the end of the day we're so overwhelmed by the trials of this life. And Peter's reminding them, remember, they're running for their lives. Many of them have left their families behind and they're in foreign cities and they're in hiding in fear that they may be fed to lions. Persecution's heavy and he's telling them, hey guys, it's but light affliction. Hey, it's for but a little while. Have an eternal perspective. In the final verses of the previous chapter, he exhorts them again of their heavenly inheritance, that their trials are temporary, that they have the completed revelation of God's word, and in light of all these unchanging promises, it's time for them to be faithful in the midst of even the greatest of trials. He doesn't say, just hide out till it all dies down. And that's kind of what's happened even with a lot of Christians uh, with a much lesser situation with COVID, where people are just hiding and they're waiting for it to die down. Well, the way things are going, it may never die down. Amen. Amen? We may be on variant, variant number 57 next year, right? And it'll just continue to happen. So guys, if this is the new normal, then let's just live for Jesus in the midst of the new normal. Let's be unashamed of the gospel. Let's not hide our light under a bushel. Let's not allow the enemy to win. Let's not isolate ourselves. That's not what the Lord would have us to do. Let's get busy serving God. Let's live lives of holiness set apart from the world and unto the Lord and conduct ourselves in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord. Peter reminded these persecuted Christians just how valuable they are to God. And I want to remind you of that as we're getting ready to get to the outline now, is that the Lord loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. You are his treasured possession. You are always on his mind. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's given you a down payment on heaven in a person of the Holy Spirit. Again, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Amen? He reminded these persecuted Christians just how valuable they are to God, and it's determined by the price that was paid for them, paid for you. You know, Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died and thought about you while he hung on the cross because he loves you so much, he would rather die than live without you. They were redeemed with something, not with corruptible gold or silver, but with the blood of the lamb. And that's so true of each of us as well. So my prayer for you this morning, wherever you came here with, whatever struggle you may be going through, maybe your job's on the line, maybe you're going through difficulties with family members, maybe you're dealing with illness, financial struggles, whatever it might be, my prayer is that you would leave here strengthened and encouraged. And so, 1 Peter, if you grab your outline, if you have it, grab it. If you don't have it, we have them on the back table. And tell the message, the power of God's word. The power of God's word. We're going to see both the living word, Jesus Christ, and the written word that you're holding in your lap right now. And here's what we're going to look at. So we're going to see the power of God's word. First, in the living word, we're going to see the depths of his love for us, which I just mentioned. We're going to take a, few, a little bit of time and look at the depths, how much Jesus loves you. Again, when we remember how much we're loved by the Lord. You know, we live in a world that feels unloved. We live in a world that's trying to find their worth in how many likes they get on social media, or how much attention they get, or how many followers they have. You know what? It's not how many people follow you, but who you're following that will bring you joy. Amen. It's you following the Lord that will bring you joy. So we're going to see in the living word, we're going to see the depths of his love for us. Again, that he loved us so much, he'd rather die than live without us. And we must never take for granted the depths of our Savior's love. Then we're going to see in the written word, time permitting, when we faithfully respond to the word of God. Now, here's why the enemy doesn't want you in the word. The enemy wants you to be so busy that you don't open up the Bible. The enemy wants you doubting that the word of God can transform your life because he knows that it will. And these are the things we will see in just this morning's text, that if we will read the Bible, 
These are things, when we faithfully respond to the written word of God, first of all, it will produce a fervent love for one another. When you spend time in God's word, you're going to love God more and you're going to love people more. Amen? Amen? The greatest commandment is to love God and love people. The Lord was asked that. So it's love God. So the more time you spend in the word, the more you will love other people. Why? Because you will see people through the eyes of the Lord. You will see the depths of God's love for people. You will see the price he paid for people. When you get, instead of getting frustrated with people, you'll see them as somebody that Jesus loved enough to die for. Amen? And when you don't spend time in the word, you get frustrated with other people. You get angry with other people. You become short-tempered with other people. You cut other people out of your life because you begin to have a physical perspective, a temporary perspective, instead of an eternal one. Just remember how much the Lord loves them. It produces a greater love for others. The word love there is agape. It's a selfless love that esteems others greater than yourself. Secondly, we can rest in the fact that his word lives, abides, and endures forever. No matter how many changes go on in the world around us, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so too is the word of God. The word of God will never change. It doesn't need any updates. We don't need an abridged edition. We just need to open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? Open it, read it, and obey it. I want to encourage you, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, there's one. We need to rest in the word of God. The word of God endures forever. The world has sought to silence it. Uh, the word is, how, by the way, we took, the, we took the Bible out of schools in the year I was born, 1963. How's that working out? Taking the word of God, we want the word of God out of our government. We want the word of God out of libraries. We want the word of God removed from everything. But guys, here's the reality. They can try to take the word of God out of anywhere they want to, but they cannot silence the word of God, and they should not be able to silence us. And we need to be the ones that live it and the ones that speak it. Amen? So we can rest that the word of God does not change. Many churches are neglecting it today. I talk to pastors, and we'll talk about what are you teaching, and there's some series on you know, three ways to overcome your anger, seven steps to financial freedom, or Beaver doesn't live for any more of the series, or whatever. And I'm like, just teach the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? God wrote it down. For, it got, duh. Here it is. He just wrote it down, handed it to us, open it up, read it, and teach it. Can I get an amen to that? It's, and why do we try to make it more difficult than that? I've had pastors tell me, my people won't sit for the word of God. Well, then you need some new people. Can I get an amen to that? You need to just teach it till they either get in line with the word of God or the people that are hungry for the word of God start showing up. Amen? Number three there, it'll produce a change in our behavior. When you spend time in the word of God, it'll change the way you, you live. It'll change what your priorities are. It'll change what your passions are. It'll change what you love. It will, uh, belief, true belief impacts behavior. You've heard me say it many times, if if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Can I get an amen? amen. So when you live and you, when you're in the word of God, it'll change your behavior. And then finally, it is the source of spiritual growth in our daily lives. We're going to see in the text where to desire the word of God, like, a, like the, pure, the pure milk of God's word. And we'll take a look at that. So let's begin there looking at the power of God's word. We're first going to see the living word, Jesus Christ. We're going to finish up chapter uh, one where we left off beginning at verse 18. And it says there, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. These two verses should be put but the rest of the questions concerning the depths of God's love for the persecution Christians, to si it should silence it. What he's letting them know, so they're being persecuted. Now, again, context. They maybe get this letter, it's being circulated with these Christians, and some of them may be hiding in, in somebody's house. And they're all gathered together, and they're opening up, and they're reading this. And as they read it, they're being told, look, what was paid for you was not gold or silver, Gold or silver was highly valued by the world, but it meant nothing to God. By the way, in heaven, gold is asphalt. Can I get an amen? So gold, the things that the world treasures, that the world sees as so valuable, the word of God does not. 
So these two verses, the enemy is questioning the depths of God's love for them. See, if God really loved you, why are you suffering? Have you ever thought that before? If God really loved you, why does he allow you to go through things like this? If God really loved you, why did he allow your son to die? And these are things that you can all, as, as we struggle in life, and we can start to question God and doubt God's love for us, and we know that that doubt doesn't come from the Lord. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the enemy. Amen? And the enemy wants you to doubt God and to question God and to challenge God and to even come to a place where you might want to rebuke God because you don't feel that the way things are going are the way that you want them to. He's going to remind them, and this is why I think it's so good, is to look back to the cross. I love when I see people wearing crosses. I, might, I, might, I think I'm going to buy one. I'm just going to do it. But you know why? I love when I see people wearing crosses. A lot of them don't really understand why they're wearing a cross. Sometimes it matches their purse or something, right? And they'll just wear it. But I love to ask people when I see them wearing a cross. I'm like, man, I love your cross. Does that mean something to you? And I will say, most of the time, they'll say, yeah, it's, this is what my Savior did for me. And I think it's good for us to look in the mirror. It's good for us to look in the Word of God and be reminded of the cross of Calvary. And so he's reminding them, look, I know you're going through a tough time. Yes, I know that your life is on the line. Yes, I know you're being persecuted. I know some of your family has disowned you. But I want you to remind, be reminded of what, what was paid for you. It wasn't silver or gold. It was the shed blood of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who went to the cross of Calvary and willingly suffered and died in my place and in your place, took my sin and your sin upon himself, knew separation from the Father, and endured it all out of love for you. See, when we remember the cross, we remember the depths of his love for us, and it keeps us from doubting that he continues to love us today. Does the Lord love you? What's the answer? He loves you so very much. We must never lose sight of that. The enemy wants you to question God and to doubt God and to say, why, God, did you allow this to happen? Why am I going through this torment? Notice the word there is redeemed. The word redeemed means to pay someone else's debt. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. There's no number. Let's just Pick a number, $10 billion, and you've got $4 in your bank account. And they come and they want the money, or you're, or you're going to be tortured for the rest of your life. You're going to spend eternity in torment. And then someone steps up and pays the price for you. That's what it means to be redeemed. Somebody redeems you. Somebody pays the price that you could not pay. And the only one who could pay the price, the only one who would, is Jesus Christ. Because he and he alone is the one who had, be, being sinless and perfect and holy, he was the only one who could pay it. He was the only one who could suffer and die in our place. And then he proved himself to be God by doing so. I love, again, when I'm reminded, I just want to be reminded daily. I want to be reminded hourly. You know, the word redeem there means to free a slave, someone who was enslaved, someone who, again, was going to be enslaved forever. And guys, we were slaves to sin and death. And then Jesus redeemed us, and we are no longer slaves to sin and death, but we have triumphed over sin and death because Jesus triumphed over sin and death. Amen? Amen. For believers, death has no sting. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. It says, from your aimless conduct, you know, you were redeemed from corruptible things, from your aimless conduct received by traditions of your fathers. Paul here describes the religious traditions and a works-based salvation, and he says it's aimless. And here's the sad part. <clears throat> there are many people today that are religious and lost. You know, they can be very involved in a religious organization, and, they, and again, maybe they're coming with the right motivation initially. They don't know any different, but their motivation is, I want to be in right standing before God, but they're trying to do it their own way. I want to earn it through my good works. Or they're being told something that's in error. And he tells them that the things that you've learned from your fathers were aimless and wrong. Guys, it's got to go beyond mom and dad's faith to our own faith. Amen? Amen. It's got to be something that we have a relationship with the Lord. He describes these <coughs> religious traditions as aimless. I get in trouble every time I say it. So one more time won't hurt. I had a guy leave recently and call me during the service to leave me a voicemail and tell me why he left. Because I would dare say that you can't put your faith in any church. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? 
You don't put your faith in the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, or Calvary Chapel. Can I get an amen to that? It's not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what the enemy wants to do? If he cannot get you to deny Christ, he'll try to get you to serve one that doesn't exist, a false god, or to add to the cross of Calvary. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We don't add to the cross. It's Christ and Christ alone. Man's attempt through rituals and his good works to earn salvation are not only aimless but fruitless. Silver and gold and good works and religious traditions are man's attempts at salvation, and our sin requires a far greater price, the price of redemption. See, guys, it's not enough just to be religious. It's not enough to try to earn our own way to heaven. If we could get to heaven apart from the cross, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? If religion could save us, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? But notice it says there in verse 20, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The word precious there means of great price. It's held in honor. It's highly esteemed. The things that the world values are corruptible, but what God has for us is so much greater. How do you determine the value of something again, what someone is willing to pay for? How valuable are you to God? His son died on the cross that you might have eternal life. Notice a lamb without blemish, blemish and without spot. You know, he is the lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. This is why no other, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. We cannot be saved through any other prophets. You know, Peter can't save you. Mary can't save you. And no, no religious leader can save you. Christ and Christ alone. Because he alone is without spot, which means holy, without sin. A sinner can't redeem sinners only the perfect Lamb of God could, only the perfect Lamb of God would, only the perfect Lamb of God did. Jesus died for them, endured far greater persecution. See, again, you're sitting in a place of great persecution. You're sitting in a great place of great difficulty, as you can imagine how these people are struggling, and he's reminding them that what Jesus went through was far worse. The Bible talks about the fellowship of his suffering, so when we go through suffering, we need to be reminded that Jesus suffered far, far worse, and he was without sin, and he did it willingly out of love for us. Notice verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world and was manifest in these last times for you. It was always God's plan that his son would die in your place. I am so thankful that God the Father sent his son to die so that now I know I can see my son again. Amen? I'm so thankful that because of his love for us, he allowed his son to die. And I have a greater love, for, a greater admiration for that, a greater, uh, bless, I'm blessed more by it today than ever, having seen my own son die. This dispersed and persecuted generation was extremely blessed. And again, that which had been seen through a mirror dimly was now seen so much more clearer. It says that was manifest in these last days for you. Jesus came for one reason so that you could be forgiven. He came for one reason so that you could spend eternity in heaven with him. Verse 21, it says, Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's through him. It's through Christ alone. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other risen Savior. There's no other empty tombs. Jesus and him alone has risen from the dead. Notice it says there, so your faith and hope, and give him glory exalted him to the right hand of the Father. He ever, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Okay, here's what I hear from people. Where's God? Why isn't God showing up? Why is it I've been praying and God's not answering my prayers? I want you to know that the Lord is interceding on your behalf right now. Amen? Amen. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He never ceases to intercede on your behalf. So we need to know that God is always interceding for us. God is always on our side. God is always for us. Now, we pray in our time, God answers in his time. And his timing is perfect, amen? amen? And when we pray amiss, God loves us enough to say no, amen? And so when we get upset, you're making, you've got a major decision to make. You come before the throne of grace, you cry out to the Lord. 
Somebody sent me a TikTok, and it's this gal, and I'm trying to reach out to her, and she's walked away from the Christian church, and here's why. She says, how can we pray and ask God to do something if he's sovereign and he already knows what he's going to do, so why do we waste our time praying? Anybody else ever heard that question or had that question yourself in your mind before? Amen? We pray because God tells us to pray. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts. And we don't pray to get our will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. Amen. Amen? So when we pray, we come humbly before the Lord. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we pray according to His will, not our will. And people say when you pray according to God's will, it's faithless. I would say if you pray any other way, it's foolish. Amen? So when we pray, we say, Lord, if it be your will... For me to take this job, if it be your will for me to marry this person, if it be your will, whatever it is, that the thing that you're praying about, we say, Lord, show me your will. God already knows what's best. Amen? God doesn't need our input. He doesn't need to be enlightened by us. We need to be enlightened by him. Amen? We need to hear from him. So when we're praying, what are we doing? We're trying to align our will with his. Lord, I don't know what to do here. I need to understand your will. Show me your will. I'm not telling him to change his will. I'm telling him to change mine. Amen? To conform our will to his will. So when we come before the Lord, when we're praying, when we're seeking the Lord, we know that he knows what is best. When you look at the model prayer, you call it the Lord's prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the model prayer because the Lord wouldn't pray that way and wouldn't say, forgive us our debts. He doesn't have any. Can I get an amen to that? But when you pray it, how does it begin? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know how we begin our prayer with praise? Amen? You know why we do that? Because when we know who we're praying to, when we know his greatness, what does it do? It helps us recognize that he can take care of whatever we're praying for. Amen? And that he knows what's best in what we're praying for. You hear me pray it when I, when I come up here every time I pray. You're a holy, righteous, just, and faithful God. Amen? You're an almighty God. You're an all-powerful God. You're an all-knowing God. Guess what that means? He can handle whatever's coming after that. Amen? Amen. Lord, you're almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, and Lord, I don't know what to do here. And Lord, I need wisdom from you. Lord, show me your will. If this isn't your will, shut the door, please. If this is your will, Lord, open that door that no man can shut and make it so clear to me. Confirm it in my word. Confirm it with my spouse. Confirm it with other believers. Lord, show me your will. We don't come to God and say, Lord, this is what you need to do. We don't tell God. We come humbly broken and we ask God to show us his will, not demand ours. Amen? So we, we come humbly before him because he is the one He is the one through whom, he is the one who raised from the dead. We give him glory that our hope and your faith are in God. Aren't you glad that your faith is in one who's greater than you will ever be able to understand? He created us. He died for us. He intercedes for us. He's preparing a place for us, and he's coming back for us. That's our Savior. Amen? So whatever you're going through, just be reminded of that. He created you. He died for you. He's interceding for you. He's preparing a place for you. He took six days to create the heavens and the earth, and he's preparing a place for you for thousands of years. It's going to be sweet. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Not touched by pain or sorrow or death or suffering. I'm ready to go today. Amen? Amen. And he's coming back for us. Give us a down. He's given. And by the way, he's given you a down payment on heaven. The person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? How much does he love you? He says, you know what? Not only did I die for you, but I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you. And it's going to be your promise, your down payment. It says in Ephesians, it's the down payment on heaven. So how do you know you're going to heaven? You already have, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You already have eternal life. It doesn't start when you die. You have it already. So the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He comforts you when you're hurting, and he convicts you when you get outside of God's will. And praise God for the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Lord loves us. The living word. Look at the depths of his love for us. Again, he created us. He loves us. He died for us. He's preparing a place for us. 
He's coming back for us, and He sent His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That's the God that we serve. Amen? When you're tempted to follow anything else, did it create you? Did it die for you? Did it pay the price for you? Is it preparing a place for you? Is it coming back for you? Amen? Only Jesus Christ, Him and Him alone. So the power of God's Word, the, the living Word, Jesus Christ, we could talk about that for the, until He comes back. Secondly, the written Word. When we faithfully respond to the written, written Word, first of all, we're going to see that it produces a fervent love for one another. Look at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. By believing in Christ through the teaching and the influence of the Holy Spirit, the natural result of true salvation is a love for one another. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, what's the first word? Love. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. But it begins with love. And it's love that is the, the word love there is agape. It's a selfless love where you love someone outside of yourself more than yourself. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And without love, again, there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a love for God, but it's also a love for others. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us, and it's time for us to lay down our lives for others. Now remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians who could be fed to lions tomorrow. He's talking to those who, whose lives could end any moment now, and he's encouraging them to have fervent love for others to the point where they're willing to lay down their life for each other. Again, these are heavy words for people living in the days of Nero. Fervent love for one another is evidence of a, Holy Spirit, of a Spirit-filled life. Again, that fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And if there's no love for God and love for people, then you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And again, that word is agape. It is a selfless love. A selfless love that esteems others greater than yourself. You know why you get angry with people? Because you think more of yourself than you do of them. Amen? <laughs> Amen? Amen. You're, you're, more, you're more concerned about your, about your way and your will and your wants, and they offended you. Well, guess what? We've all offended our Savior, and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we love God, we need to recognize what... I want to challenge you to do something. The next time you're frustrated with somebody or somebody cuts you off on the freeway or someone's being ridiculous, just think, Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. Lord, help me love them the way you love them. Amen? Instead of getting mad at them, pray for them. Instead of getting frustrated with them, uh, say, Lord, help me to love that person the way that you love me. Point number two, we can rest in the fact that his word, the written word here, that his word lives, abides, and endures forever. Look at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Having been born again. Now I've had people say to me, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just not one of those born again kind. And the Bible says, Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was the Pope of the day, one of the most religious men on the planet, a member of the Sanhedrin, and he came to Jesus by night and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't say be religious. He didn't say keep a bunch of rules. He said, you must be born again. The word born again there means born from above. We've all been born physically, but you need to be born again spiritually. And so he told him he had to be born again. And what does he say? What, do I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And he says, you know, do not marvel that I say to you, you know, that which is born of spirit is flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So as but we either born again Christians, you're not a Christian at all. Because you were spiritually dead, then you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you're born again, you're now filled with the spirit of the living God, you're a new creation in Christ, he's given you the down payment on heaven and the person of the Holy Spirit, he's written your name in the Lamb's book of life, he will never leave you nor forsake you, and you have the promise of heaven. Amen? That's something we should be excited about, not watering down. Amen? Well, born again, why do you got to say born again? Because Jesus said born again. Our common salvation comes not from our physical lineage or ancestry, but having been 
born again. When I was in college, I worked at a 7-Eleven. And one of my coworkers would say to me, well, of course I'm a Christian. I was born in the United States. I don't have any choice. This is a Christian nation. And I said, bro, you were born a stinking vile sinner just like me, and you need to be born again. Amen? And fortunately, I was playing college football at the time and a lot bigger than him, so when he got mad, there wasn't much he could do about it. But the reality is that I just remember saying that. It's like the size of my foot. I had no choice about it. We all have a choice to make when it comes to the Lord, to either accept him or reject him. No decision when it comes to, to Jesus is a decision. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either a friend of God or an enemy of God. We were not saved of incorruptible seed. You know, the, the living, breathing word of God is unchangeable. God's word lives and abides forever. And again, the world tries to silence the word of God. The word of God, which lives and abides forever. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful for those who laid down their lives so we could have the word of God. How about you? I'm so thankful for those who were burned at the stake and persecuted and would not relent. I'm thankful for those who took the word of God and translated into languages that we could understand. Amen. And praise God for their faithfulness because now we have the word of God and I'm so, I'm so thankful for it. Now notice this. I love this, this little uh, poem here, this little reference to the Old Testament. It says, it says, all flesh is as grass, verse 24, and all the glory of man and the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails away, falls away, but the word of God endures forever. See, the temporal things of the, uh, were no doubt a source of great concern for these persecuted Christians. They were all temporary and, and perishing, and they needed to get their focus off the temporal, that which is perishing, and put their focus back on the Word of God, the written Word, the Bible, and Jesus, the Word made flesh. See, the Word of the Lord endures forever, even though it's been under attack for 2,000 years. It's been banned. It's been outlawed. Some have attempted to change it, add words to it. Guys say they saw angels that told them to make changes to it. Even if an angel comes along and they try to change the word of God, we don't obey that. Amen? The word of God is the truth. The stuff that we hold on to is perishing. It's fading away. When we get to heaven, and it's interesting, I have a lot of texts with my son Mark, and we would talk about this a lot, and uh, stuff would break and things would go on. And, and, and right before he went to heaven, not long before he went to heaven, his truck uh, he bought a brand new truck. He had it for a week and the engine seized. And he was not real thrilled about that. And our, our text going back and forth was, hey son, when, it gets, when you get to heaven, none of that will matter. And he wrote back, you're right, dad. That's how I'm looking at it. Do you think he's worried about that truck right now? No, sir. Amen. <laughs> and the same is true for us. The things that we think are so overwhelming when we stand before Almighty God, when we're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the things that we think are so overwhelming, the things that we're so hurt and crushed by, the things that we're so bummed out about, none of it will matter in heaven. Amen? None of it. And what he's saying is, look, guys, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through great trials, but I want you to know the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Those things that seem so important, that job you didn't get, that relationship that fell apart, and that was God's hand keeping you from it. Whatever those things are that we're so overwhelmed by, that, those things we missed out on, and we're bummed out about it, and he's letting us know that in eternity, none of that will matter. What matters is the word of God, amen? It matters what the God, the God of the word has to say. What matters will outlast this life. See, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And the only thing that will matter when we, on, our, on the day that we die is what have we done with God's son? See, the word of God can be neglected and we need to hold tight to it and recognize what a blessing it is to have it. And I, one of the things I love about going on missions trips, I'm reminded, I'll never forget this. This is back in the 90s when I was a youth pastor in San Jose with Rob McCoy. We took a group of, of youth group kids to Russia and we were handing out Bibles on the metro in Russian. And I remember this 14 young, the youngest girl we had with us was 14 years old and she went over and hold, gave a Bible to this older man and he was grabbing a hold of her by the wrist and he was speaking really quickly in Russian and she started to panic a little bit. So I ran over there with an interpreter 
And this is what the man told us, and it just brought us to our knees. He said, my family uh, has had one page of the Bible for 40 years. And we would read that same page over and over and over again, and we always wondered what was the rest of the story. And we have been praying for 40 years that God would give us the rest of the story. And this 14-year-old girl comes up and hands him the rest of the story. And he's overwhelmed. And guys, we've got the rest of the story. And some of us don't even read one page of it. Amen. Guys, we need to recognize how blessed we are to have the Word of God. It does not fade away. The Word of God endures forever. And we need to open it and read it and obey it. It's been neglected both in pews and in pulpits. It's been taken out of schools. It's been mocked as a book full of fairy tales and stories, and yet it's still here. Amen? Amen. God's got his hand on it. This is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. The gospel is proclaimed from it every day. Lives are being transformed every day. Can I encourage you, grab one of those little outlines. You're only seven days behind, nine days behind. You can catch up. And let's read through the Bible together this year. Amen? Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. All you got to do is watch one less Netflix show a day and read your Bible instead. Amen? Amen. If you just tithe your time, if you took the amount of time you do everything else and took a tithe of that time and spent it in the Word of God, it would radically transform your life. Amen? Sometimes getting the Bible open is the hardest thing, but you never regret it. These persecuted Christians had God's Word. And you and I have the completed revelation. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the promise of heaven. Let's be busy about it. It says there at the end of that verse, in verse 25, now this is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. See, the gospel, the good news, is the whole counsel of God. The good news is, of course, that Jesus is God, that he came to earth, that he suffered and died, that we might have eternal life, that he paid for our sin on the cross of Calvary, that he rose on the third day, that he ascended into heaven and he's coming back. That is the gospel, but all of this is the gospel, amen? The whole counsel of God, and we want to make sure we open it and we read it, and we obey it, and we'll have a better understanding of life. You know, the world wants to give you counsel apart from the Word of God, but He and He alone is the mighty counselor. I have people tell me often, Pastor, I just want to hear what you think. I don't care what the Bible says. Well, then you really don't want to hear what I think, because what the Bible says is what matters. Can I get an amen to that? His Word is far, far better than ours. Point number three there, and produces a change in behavior. So when you spend time in the Word of God, so here they are, they're suffering, they're being persecuted, their lives could be taken from them, they're being encouraged by the Word of God, but it also should change our behavior as believers. Look at what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, so in light of the fact that the Word of God endures forever, in light of what Jesus did for, on the, us for us on the cross, in light of the fact that he loves you so much you'd rather die than live without you, and he's given us the word, he's given us the Holy Spirit, how should you and I respond? Having just demonstrated the power of the word of God to transform lives and the eternal character of God's word as it lives and abides and endures forever in light of God's word, so how do you and I respond? That belief should reflect our behavior. In light of that, he says, therefore, laying aside all malice. The word malice there is wickedness, depravity, or evil. The desire to, to injure others without cause. Now, here's the reality. Were they being persecuted just for being Christians? What's the answer? Yes. Yeah. It wasn't there a part of them that some of them would want to get even. Someone would want to lash out and fight back. And he's encouraging them that we need to just leave that in God's hands, that we lay aside all malice, all wickedness, all depravity, all evil. While these characteristics are common in the world, they should not be so amongst Christians. Our flesh wants to strike back. It wants to defend itself. God's word calls us not to defend ourselves, but to deny ourselves. Is that popular in the world today? Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. That's not something that the world wants to do. We want to be famous. Guys, we should make God famous. Amen? Bible's vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. As Christians, we're not to respond to the world's angry and vengeful actions in kind. 
but we are to lay aside, to put away, to cast off such behavior. The Greek there literally means once and for all, lay aside all malice for the rest of your life. Cast it aside. The whole deceit and anger and all those things that come with it. We're new creations in Christ. We walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Our words and actions should go through the Holy Spirit filter. Can I get an amen? You know the thought that's right here? You know what we need between here and here? The Holy Spirit right about here. Can I get an amen? Filter it through the Holy Spirit before it comes out of your mouth. Rob and I, when we were youth pastors together, we used to just say, filter, whenever somebody would just, you know, just blow something out of your mouth. And usually that comes through anger, amen? And it comes quickly. And there's no thought process behind it. And when we run it through the Holy Spirit filter, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks, the Bible says. Words don't, you know, spill out. They pour out from your heart. Amen? Oh, that, I, that word just slipped out. No, it didn't. It came from the depths of your heart right through here and came out of your mouth. Can I get an amen? And so it's a reflection of what's in your heart. The Lord, his words, his promises would outlast their trials and their persecution. And so too will his word, the living, breathing word of God and we too must leave our defense and, in, and his righteous vengeance in the hand of God, regardless of the depths of our persecution or the severity of our circumstances. Let's lay aside all malice. This is all deceit. This word is for fraud or deceit in words or actions. The spirit-filled, born-again believers, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we need to lay aside all lying and defrauding of one another. He's the truth. And Satan is the father of lies. So when you, when you lie, who are you being like? And when you tell the truth, who are you being like? So we are to be Christ-like. We are to speak the truth and do it in love and to lay aside once and for all all deceit, expressing with our lips something different uh, from what's in our hearts. By the way, a half-truth is a whole lie. Amen? Then he says, not just deceit, but hypocrisy. I, when, I, when I was uh, at Calvary San Jose on Sunday morning, sometimes it'd be my, I would be one of the guys answering the phone for the hour before church. Lots, you get a lot of calls. It was a very large church, several thousand people. So people would call to find out what time to service start, and I'd be answering the phone. And one Sunday I was answering the phone. I answered the phone. I said, you know, Calvary Chapel San Jose, Dave Johnston. The guy said, hypocrite. I said, Sometimes. Amen. What is a hypocrite? The word literally means it's a mask wearer. It's somebody who pretends to be something that they're not. In those days, they had actors and they called them hypocrites because what they would do is they would be in these big, huge, you know, they didn't have the sound systems we have today. And what would happen is when they would change their, their uh, sentiment or, you know, the emotion they were feeling, they would hold up a big, huge mask. So if they were sad, they'd hold a big, huge mask with a frowny face, and, and they called, them, called it the hypocrite, right? It was a mask wearer, somebody pretending to be something that they're not. And as believers, we are not to be hypocrites. We shouldn't be one person on Sunday and somebody else at work on Monday, amen? And we shouldn't be one person at church and another person at home. Now, there are times when we can be hypocritical, a phony when I was in high school, we used to call them posers. Every surfer in the room knows what that means. We had all these, I went to Fountain Valley High School, not far from Huntington Beach, and then I went to Santa Cruz High School, I mean Harbor High School in Santa Cruz, right near the beach, and you had all these guys who were posers, and what they would do is they would dress like they were surfers, and some of them had surfboards on their car, and they, you know, they'd wear all the surf gear, and they'd never been in the ocean in their life. And you call them posers, man. That guy's a poser. Well, we got Christian posers. Can I get an amen to that? Walk around with a Bible under their arm, maybe some Christian stickers on their car, but living like the world, amen? amen. So we don't want to be posers. We don't want to be Christians in name only. They should know it by our behavior, amen? Our behavior, the way that we act, the way that we love people, the way that we love the Lord should be in alignment with the Word of God. Many can, may fool men with outward appearance, but you won't fool God. 
assuming a false appearance of religion and piety and holiness, again, often cloaking some of the most wicked of all people. Remember the, who did Jesus call hypocrites? Pharisees. You know, you never see him call like a, a prostitute a hypocrite. You know what I mean? He, Jesus showed love and grace to them that came with a repentant heart. Who did he get angry with? The self-righteous who walked around with the black robes on and were pointing their fingers at everybody else and acting like they were perfect and holy. And Jesus called them a brood of vipers. You guys are a bunch of snakes. He called them hypocrites. And the sad part is in the church today, there are a lot of people who are hypocrites because we act like we're more holy than we really are. We're all just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, and we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Amen? And it's only by His grace that we're saved. Notice it says, get rid of envy, a hatred for others on account of some talent or possession they have that we don't. I'm envious because He's got it and I don't have it. And some of them might be envious because they're sitting in torment and they're being chased out there, and they hear about Christians maybe in another city where the persecution isn't as heavy, and they're envious of that. And understand that we shouldn't envy the life of any other believer. You know, and we, we always do this too, don't we? Well, everybody else's family is just perfect, isn't it? Don't we think that? Did you see their family? All their kids are just so perfect. It makes me sick, right? <laughs> You hear people say this, you know, because we know when we got in the car, they were arguing all the way to, we were arguing all the way to church, right? And there's this whole thing where we look at everyone else and then we get envious because we think, look how perfect they are. We can't measure up to that. There's no perfect families, amen? amen. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect children, amen? amen? As much as you think your kids are perfect, give them a few more years, <laughs> amen? They're not perfect. Now, praise God for them. And we pray for them, but they're born with a sin nature, amen? How many of your kids do you have to teach mine? Mine, mine. You don't have to teach them that. They did that all on their own, amen? They're just born with an Adamic nature. But we envy hatred of others on account of some talent or position they have that we do not. Let's not be envious. Let's thank God for other people's gifting. Can I get amen to that? I'm thankful when I, I, I was blessed watching Josh last Sunday and watching uh, Chris on Thursday when I was homesick, and I was blessed by the message, and I was ministered to by both of them, and I'm thankful for their gifting. I'm not envious. Of, can I get an amen to that? Someone's paying attention. <laughs> jealousy, jealousy simply wants what another has. Envy, because I can't have it, I hope you lose yours too. That's what envy literally means. Like, if they have a really nice car and you don't have one, you hope they wreck theirs. That's envy. It is. I can't have a car as nice as yours. I hope you wreck yours. I can't afford a house as nice as yours. I hope yours burns down. I'm not as gifted as you. I hope you lose your voice. I hope you get throat cancer. You know what I mean? That's envy. But as believers, are not to envy people. We're to praise God for other people's gifting. Amen? And be thankful for it. And all evil speaking evil speaking. As Christians, it includes profanity, dirty jokes, coarse jesting. Uh, people will defend foul language and say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm just, but I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. Yeah, no, you're not, and neither am I. But we should not defend sinful behavior. Amen? We should not defend it. We should be grieved by it. The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. So as believers, we should, be, we should have words that match the character of God. Amen? And we should not be cursing again, coarse jesting, uh, backbiting, gossiping, slandering, making false accusations. As I said before, prayer praise. Amen? You, if you pray for them, if you can't say something nice, pray for them. If you can't do either one, just be quiet. Amen? Prayer praise. Out of the overflowing of man's heart, his mouth speaks, and again, our speech will give us away. This is why it's good. That's why in the Old Testament, there, there was a one-year betrothal period before marriage. Anybody can be really good for a few months. Anybody can put on a really good act for a short amount of time. Amen? And you want to watch them go through some trials. 
You want to watch and see how they respond in the midst of difficulty, because then you'll find out what's really in their heart by what comes out of their mouths. So easy to lash out at others, to go and attack against those who are accusing or persecuting us. Spiritual maturity is seen most not on how we are when things are going our way, but how we respond when we've lost our job, or we've been diagnosed with an illness, or we've been mistreated or falsely accused, or someone that we love dearly has passed away. Maturity trials counted all joy. Persecution, you don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. Spiritual growth is seen both in what we say, what we lay aside of, but also what we desire. So what do we lay aside? We lay aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, evil speaking. But what should, we, what should be in its place? Look at verse 2. As newborn babies, this is the final one, the source of spiritual growth in our daily lives, it's the Word of God. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word, that they may grow thereby. Now, some people, I think, misinterpret this verse to say, this is new believers are really hungry for the Word. No, I think he talks about how much newborn babies love milk. Amen? And I was blessed with all four of our kids. I love to take the middle-of-the-night feeding. I have, a, I have a broken down recliner that is the bane of my wife's existence in our bedroom because I will not let it go because I fed all my kids and grandkids in it. Now, one thing about babies is they love to be fed. Can I get amen to that? And they need to be fed. Amen? And what's amazing is when babies are hungry, you not having formula handy or mom's not available is not a good enough answer. They will cry till you fix the problem. Can I get an amen to that? Do you notice that they love milk so much? Like, I remember I'd fill the bottles up and the baby would be crying. And if you're not doing it quick enough, they're getting louder. And then it's, I mean, you're not even all the way there yet. And their mouth's ready. Amen? And as soon as they get a hold of it, they're sucking on that thing like it's a race, like it's a race to get all the milk down as fast as they can. Amen? See, it's that same desire, it says, that we should have for the Word of God for the milk of God's word. By the way, have you ever noticed that babies, when they dream, they're drinking in their dreams? Have you ever noticed the little lips are moving like they're drinking in their dreams? Is that not true? Can I get an amen to that? We should desire the word of God the way the baby desires milk. We should be so hungry for it, so passionate about it. We can't wait to get into it. Can I get an amen to that? We can't wait to open it up. We can't wait to be fed by it. Because see, that's the thing that's going to help us grow spiritually. See, babies don't grow without their mom's milk or, or formula. They're not going to grow. And we don't grow without opening this up. Amen? We're to desire the Word of God with that same passion as a newborn baby does of that milk. When it comes again, babies are very focused. Not getting the bottle ready fast enough to let you know. We want to get an earful, just try running out of formula in the middle of the night. Dad's driving to the local grocery store if that happens, amen? Most parents have been on a middle of the night run or two. Not only are newborn babies focused and relentless until the bottle is made, again, and most are pretty aggressive in the way they drink it, but that they, my, I remember again my children almost inhaling the entire bottle. They desire it. They dream about eating it. Babies don't have to be taught to be hungry, they're just hungry. And as Christians, we shouldn't have to be taught to be hungry for the Word of God. We should just be hungry. Can I get an amen to that? We should have a hunger for it, a desire for it. Notice what it says here. It says, desire the pure milk of the Word. The word desire there in Greek is the word used for the deepest longing. It says in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. A thirsty animal the way they pant and they, they so desire the word of God is the, way, the, the water. We should desire the word of God. It speaks of a hunger and the eagerness that we are to have the word of God in our hands to open it and to read it. Babies have a one-track mind. And as believers, 
We should have a one-track mind when it comes to the Word of God. Notice the pure milk. It's sincere, genuine, without falsehood. The baby deprived of milk becomes malnourished and sick. It stunts its growth. Its immune system isn't fully developed. So too in the life of the Christian, the failure to either desire or receive the pure milk of the Word of God is the reason that so many problems in both individual Christians and in the whole church. You know why we struggle? We don't read the Bible. I learned this from Pastor Romaine. They do counseling. You'll sit down with somebody and you'll say, how's your time in the word? Oh, I don't really, I don't, I don't. I haven't read it lately. How's your prayer life? I don't really pray a lot. Haven't seen your church in a while. Yeah, you know, you know, I've been busy. And then they wonder why their marriage is falling apart. Or they wonder why they're struggling in their walk with the Lord. Guys, well, here's what Romaine would do. They would come in and sit down and say, have you read your, tell me what you saw you read in your devotions this morning. Well, I don't know. How, how's your prayer life? Go back and do that for a week and then come see me. Get out of my office. And he would send them out. I haven't done that yet. But the point is, why would we want to hear what men have to say when we won't even take the time to find out what God has to say? Amen? See, we should, when we desire the milk of the Word of God, it ministers to our hearts. It's the way that we grow. It's our source of spiritual growth. Notice what it says there, that you may grow thereby. Without time feeding on the pure milk of God's Word, our faith falters. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Word of God. Stunts our growth spiritually. We lose our godly perspective. We turn a deaf ear to what God says or wants to say to us. There's no fear of God. There's no true fellowship with God. People say, well, God's not answering my prayers. Well, you're not, you're not spending time with him. Well, God doesn't speak to me. Well, God's speaking. You're just not listening. Amen? Amen? Our time in the word is not as important as a baby's milk. It's more important. Amen? Amen? We desire the word of God more than our necessary food. It says there in verse 3, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Guys, when we open up the Bible and read it, I promise we'll never regret it. And I want to encourage you to do this. When you read the Bible, I want to encourage you to do it when you're wide awake. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Am I the only one that's done it? You do it late at night? And then you wake up with your Bible like that? Amen? If the Lord was coming to your house, would you take a nap before he got there? Would you be ready? Would you be alert? Would you be attentive? Amen? I want to encourage you, open the Bible up, be attentive, turn off all the distraction. One of my favorite places to read my Bible is in my car. I'll park my car somewhere, I'll sit down, and there's no distraction, and I'll read my Bible. And I want to encourage you that we need to make the Bible the priority. We desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. Can you imagine if you open the Bible as many times as you open the fridge? Amen? Desire the Word of God more than your necessary food. The Bible says in Psalm 34, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Since seeing that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, it should be reflected by a fervent love for one another, the laying aside of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking, the laying aside of fleshly behavior, the desire for the pure milk of the Word, of the word. having tasted and seen the incredible grace of God, even as these early Christians deal with hard heartache and trials and persecution, knowing by experience that they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They've been born again through the Word, which lives and abides forever. The fruit of tasting God's grace is a fervent love, a pure heart, the laying aside of fleshly desires, and a desire for the pure milk of God's Word. You want your life to change? Open it, read it, obey it. Amen? Amen. Spend more time with the Lord, you'll become more like Him. Get on your knees and spend time in prayer unhurried, undistracted, so the Lord can transform our hearts. Amen? So in closing, the power of God's word, we saw the living word, we saw the depths of his love for us. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know there's many people that need to be reminded how much the Lord loves you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. You may not feel that way because of some of the things you've been through recently, but I want you to be reminded of that. The written word of God, it, pervert, it, it creates a fervent love for one another. If you don't like people, you're not doing right with God right now. Amen? You know, I love the Lord, I just hate people. 
those two things don't go together. If you really love the Lord, you're going to have a love for people. We can rest in the fact that the word lives, abides, and endures forever. This is always the truth. This is the teacher's edition. It has all the answers. This is where we go. Amen? Not to the world. We go to the Lord. And then it produces a change in our behavior. Monday doesn't change. Sunday doesn't count. And it's a sport source of spiritual growth. If you want to be closer to the Lord, spend more time with him. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. Thank you for everyone who's here, those watching on live stream, those that will watch later. Lord, I pray you minister to every heart. I don't know what's going on in everyone's life, but you do. Encourage those that need to be encouraged. Strengthen those that need to be strengthened. Comfort those that need to be comforted. And Lord, even rebuke those that may need to be rebuked or corrected. And Lord, we come humbly before you. And I pray this not just for everyone here, but for myself. Lord, help us to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. Help us, Lord, to live every day with an eternal perspective, to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to walk in faithful obedience to the word of God. May our belief be reflected in our behavior. May we love one another the way that you love us. May we never lose sight of the depths of how much you do love us. May we praise you always. May we lift up your name always. May we never be ashamed of the gospel. Lord, I pray for divine appointments and opportunities to point people to you. Lord, keep us humble, broken, and desperate and usable for your kingdom. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.